is Bloomberg Surveillance. My assessment of appropriate monetary policy is that given the economy and what we're looking at, it would be two rate hikes this year. Cash is a legitimate asset class. It insulates you from declines in the capital markets, both bonds and stocks. Deep value is something no one else wants to buy. Value you can at least explain. Deep value, there's no sane person that would buy that investment you're talking about. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keen. It is 7 a.m. on Wall Street and in Pittsburgh where Alcoa is licking its wounds this morning. The stock down after a revenue shortfall and outlook cut. Alcoa off 4.2% right now. Despite that disappointing start to the S&P 500 earnings season, S&P futures are higher this morning as are stocks pretty much around the world. U.S. futures right now show S&P up about eight points, four-tenths of a percent. Dow E-mini futures are up three-tenths, 46 points. And NASDAQ 100 E-mini futures are up four-tenths right now, 18 points on the day. Bonds are lower, yields rising. The 10-year note yield at 1.76%. The five-year at 1.19, 72 basis points for your two-year note. The DXY dollar index breaks through 94. It is at 93,896, continues to weaken. Europe. Started earnings season on a down note. LVMH reporting uh, disappointing earnings for the uh, for the first quarter, and uh, we are following them as well. Their shares right now are down by two and a half percent. We'll call it. However, nonetheless, European stocks higher. As uh, the stock 600 is up by a point, three tenths of a percent. The DAX up by uh, two points right now. No, DAX is up by 47. I'm sorry, half a percent. It's the foot up by two points, and the CAC 40 is up by 10 points. The euro is trading at 1.1413, and the yen is, again, the story. This time, not because it's weakening, uh, strengthening, it is weakening. First time in seven days, 108.33, down by four-tenths of a percent. Uh, as we mentioned, the euro at 1.1413. Uh, we're also watching oil prices. That is something that is also affecting equities. West Texas Intermediate, 4064 up seven tenths and Brent crude 4327 up 1.03. Uh, most commodities higher today. A third day of increases for the Bloomberg Commodity Index. Jeff Curry is head of commodities research at Goldman Sachs. Uh, Jeff, we've seen commodities bounce a couple times in recent months. Uh, none sticks. So what's happening now? Just a, another short term move? Or are we finally seeing oil putting in a bottom and maybe that pushing other commodities uh, a little bit higher? Well, actually, one of the things I think that's interesting in the commodity space is this uh, return of dispersion across the commodity markets. Copper didn't go with oil this last week, which I think is an important indication that these markets are no longer pricing off of demand fears like they were during most of the first quarter, and that created that correlation with the broader financial markets, but they're now pricing their idiosyncratic supply stories. And so when we think about what was going on oil, there was a focus on the Doha meeting coming up this weekend, which we don't think is going to materialize into any significant shift in fundamentals, which is why we think there's downside risk going into this weekend. But we think copper. Copper is pricing a much weaker, longer-term supply story, which was why it lagged the rest of the commodity complex. So I think the key point here is we're, you know, a reversion to dispersion, and the focus is back on the idiosyncratic supply stories. I like the alliteration there and the rhyme. Uh, 
you don't think we're going to get anything out of the Doha meeting on the 17th, but we really didn't get anything out of the initial agreement to have a production freeze, as they called it, and that put a floor under oil prices. So will that at least hold, even if we don't get significant gains? Well, when we think about the the impact that the market's likely to um, have relative to the any type of what's called a soft agreement that comes out of there, that's not as important as when we look at the current supply disruptions in oil that are supporting the market. You have a disruption in Nigeria, one in um, Kurdistan, another one in Venezuela, on top of maintenance in the North Sea, as well as the Arab Gulf. So you put it all together, there's real reasons why this market is tighter right now, which is reflected in the term structure of Brent. However, when we look further out, we think once these transient factors are resolved, production comes up. In OPEC alone, we think it's 500,000 barrels a day. You've pushed the market back into a surplus until we begin to see what I think is the real balancing factor, U.S. supply coming off to balance the market in third quarter. And Jeff Curry with us with Goldman Sachs. Thrilled to have him in. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. Explore what high-conviction investing means to Invesco's value equity managers. Watch the conversation at Invesco.com slash Interactive. Jeff, I haven't looked at copper in a while, and I just looked at inflation-adjusted copper, and basically it's back to, I'm going to be polite, 1992, and it may be 1988 valuations. How do copper mines work? I mean, we meant, Mike mentioned Alcoa. My, my experience is copper doesn't move very quickly. When you build a mine, you keep the mine going. Are they shutting down? No, it's supply shifts in copper are very structural, as you referred to, due to the shutdown costs. In fact, we have a million metric tons of Peruvian supply that's likely to come online over the next several years that's going to continue to pressure this market lower. But I think going to your point about where we are in terms of the prices relative to the 1990s, the key is the 80s and 90s are what we call an exploitation phase off the back of the 70s, which were an investment phase. Right. The 2000s, we invested a lot in mine capacity. Now we're going to reap the benefits of it through lower okay. prices. So the money question is, does oil, rather, you know, as a generalization, does oil catch up with copper? And the answer is your terminal value is $55, but you've got to wait to that. Well, I think to answer your question, does oil catch up with copper or does copper catch up with oil? We would say that copper is going to catch up with oil to the downside, and that's why we have a target of $4,000 a ton 12 to 18 months out. But I think the key there is it's it's a, a stronger dollar, lower oil prices reduce the cost of producing base metals, particularly copper. What's the demand for base metals going forward? Uh, that's obviously going to be a key part of this. China is a real focus right now. Two, two numbers that came out that created a, a positive uh, sentiment. One was the credit number that came out in January was massive, but we think that's going to be targeted at reducing the inventory of homes to push up home prices, not leading to new stars, which would ultimately boost metals demand going forward. The second data point that came out was the very strong PMI that was 50.2 that showed an expansion of the manufacturing or what we like to call the old economy of China. Now, that, that did help uh, boost steel prices and iron ore prices, but I think the key point there is copper actually really looked through it this time over the course of the last several weeks. When I look at all this and I look at something esoteric, and you do other things besides oil, 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 tin, 
or, or, you know, things I can't even think about in oil. Is it a normal market right now? If you were to go to a conference in London of miners, what's the level of panic? It's not as high as it was, let's say, a year and a half ago. And I think about the metals and miners. They're much further in this process than the energy companies. They've taken significant write-downs, capital restructuring, management restructuring, and they're already the assets. When does oil clear the market? Because we were, you know, a year ago it was like spring of 2016. We're here, and they're not, right? Right, and I think the ability for the energy producers to hang on longer is a function of what the financial markets are providing them with. The ability to issue equity, restructure their debt, is buying them a lifeline to extend this process. I, in fact, historically, we have never seen oil prices come off this far, this sharply, without seeing a production response of a significant magnitude. And I think one of the key reasons for that, there's more risk-sharing arrangements available to these producers than ever before. Fair, but also money's cheap. I mean, that's got a huge difference. Without question. On a real-rate basis. Is this uh, keep the U.S. production in the game, as it were, um, and enable make it more difficult to find a balanced price? I think it absolutely has. And I like to say, not only was the shale revolution a technological revolution, but it was also a financial revolution. We had the development of energy high yield markets, the ability to access these equity markets, development of deep and liquid commodity markets, all ways to lay off risk to be able to continue to maintain production in relatively adverse conditions. And I think that's one of the key reasons when you look at U.S. production, it's still hanging in there um, close to 9.1 million barrels a day. Let's come back. Jeffrey Curry with us as we look at commodities and dynamics. We'll take a, a, a bigger view here, maybe talk about Brazil as well. And, of course, the IMF meetings um, <clears throat> started today. Uh, Mike, Maurice Hobsfeld will speak the morning, this morning. Is it, is it this morning or tomorrow? Today, the uh, today. World Economic Outlook. Um, the Blue Book. They'll likely reduce their forecast for global growth. I'm not sure that'll surprise anybody, given right. how much Madame Lagarde has been talking in recent weeks. Does anybody read the outlook? I love the no. appendices. Uh, they, they don't read the outlook, but they're, they're in the, uh, in the um, essays that are written, yeah. uh, that accompany it in the other book, uh, they uh, make some interesting points usually. So the people do read those. Yeah, I, I agree. The essays are, are really, really valuable across the blue book, the green book. I call it the Marooner Brown book and I don't know. Maybe yeah, it's it, a red I, book. I would imagine that if you're waiting for the IMF to tell you what growth is going to be, you're too late to trade on it. Well, that may be true. Futures up eight. Dow futures up 47. This hour of surveillance is brought to you by Westchester Subaru. Visit westchestersubaru.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest news headlines. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Navy Secretary Ray Mabus has squared off against Marine Corps leaders who resisted recruiting women for all combat jobs. Today, Mavis takes his case to a broader audience at Camp Pendleton, California. Marine Corps leaders had sought to keep certain infantry and combat jobs closed to women. Belgian authorities say two more suspects have been charged in the March 22nd terrorist bombings in Brussels that killed 32 people. The Afghan Taliban says they've begun their spring offensive, the annual launch of the Taliban's violent summer. The Taliban are calling an Operation Omari in honor of Taliban founder Mullah Muhammad Omar, who died three years ago. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. And, Michael, thanks so much. Again, futures up seven. The yield, higher yield over the last two days, 1.76. 
8% in the 10-year yield. Uh, West Texas Intermediate, $40.62. With Jeff Curry of Goldman Sachs, Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance is brought to you by your Tri-State BMW Centers. Visit them online at tristatebmw.com at BMW. They make only one thing, the ultimate driving machine. Global Business News, 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper, Hedge Week, Institutional Investor, All Credit Intelligence. Fund managers reading these publications rank Eisner Amper high for excellence in client service. Find out why, EisnerAmper.com slash excellence. And stocks are rising with commodities while the yen slips and government bonds fall as crude oil's advance above $40 a barrel boosts economic optimism. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 5.5 points, Dow E-mini futures up 30, and NASDAQ E-mini futures up 12. The DAX in Germany is up 3 tenths percent. Ten-year Treasury down 9.30 seconds, the yield 1.75 percent. Yield on the two-year, 0.72 percent. NYMEX crude oil up six tenths percent or 22 cents to $40.58 a barrel. And COMEX gold is up about a tenth of a percent or $1 to $12.59 an ounce. The euro, $1.1403. The yen, 108.30. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Uh, Karen, uh, thanks so much. Jeffrey Curry with us. We've had a wide-ranging discussion, again, to review uh, volatility around a lower-for-longer attitude, $55 terminal value on Brent, and the idea that maybe the tendency there is lower. I want to rip up the script right now. We need a clinic away from the politics of Brazil on the commodities of Brazil. I think it's ugly. How ugly is it? Well, they've got two problems. Um, some of the production is still relatively high cost on the energy side because it is uh, ultra-deep water. Iron ore, they're safe. they got relatively low cost there. Um, and then they also have a capital structure problem, particularly in the form of what's going on with Petrobras. I'd like to point out it is the largest non-financial corporate debt issuer in the world, $127 billion of debt. That's going to have to be resolved. How do they clear that? That was my next question. I mean, I mean, it's a big number. You know it better than me, the relative basis. What are they waiting for to begin the process of clearing? I think well, one trade that the macro community has on right now is essentially um, long Petrobras short the sovereign, thinking that the sovereign is going to end up absorbing this and resolving the problem that way. Uh, but I think the key is to think about it in the context of the broader corporate community. Um, we have yet to see a substantial restructuring. Why is that? It's because the financial markets are allowing them to continue on in the current environment. They're now getting more stricter. But I think the key there, whether if it's Petrobras or or corporate um, energy companies, even in the United States, the ability for the financial markets to continue this process into this price decline is far greater than we've ever seen before. Interestingly, uh, it doesn't matter who's president of Brazil. They can't do anything about the weather. And uh, much of their commodity production depends on the weather, and it's been influenced by uh, El Nino, as have uh, soft commodities around the world. Where are we with that and the impact on those commodities? As I understand it, even though the El Nino is fading, the impact may be still rising? I, actually, I think the bigger 
story in the soft commodities is what's happening to the cost bases. Um, a combination of lower energy prices and stronger dollar is leading to significant increases in planting of high energy intensive crops such as corn. We saw that um, in the U.S. with the planting report that just came out. Um, also, the view is that places like Argentina are going to kick it up. So uh, places where you have a devaluation of, of the local currency, energy intensive crops, those are the ones that you're really seeing the focus on expanding production in. And how long does the impact last? I mean, when can we say El Nino's out of the markets or because of the change in in crops, is it going to be years? Well, I think the way the, the, the way you've started it is it leads to a high level of volatility. And the one thing we can show is there's a correlation between El Nino's and volatility and yields, both to the upside as well as to the downside. And when we think about that ability to have some type of persistence, um, it's just really not. Yeah, I, I'm not going to put this chart out. i got to update it. The chart's from a million years ago. I just looked at inflation-adjusted corn. I mean, that's an ugly picture for American agriculture. Is that lower for longer? When we look at the commodity markets, they're all on the, the, let's call it the super cycle, where you have the investment phase followed by the exploitation phase. And we think about why are corn prices lower? Um, and a lot of it has to do with the lower energy prices. Not only are oil prices low, but think about it. It all feeds in. What's that correlation? What's that sequential correlation? Cheap oil, farmers, their costs come down. Well, when we think about um, agriculture um, commodities, and if you were to put them all in MMBTU, um, you know, his, historically, yeah. um, take wheat and corn. They trade somewhere in that twelve to thirteen dollars in MMBTU. Oil um, somewhere around that, you know, four to five dollars in MMBTU. While you got gas sitting somewhere around two dollars. So the time when you see the high correlation is when those energy prices can push up to that twelve to thirteen dollar MMBTU range, which is what we saw most of the last decade. Um, however, in the current environment, those correlations have dropped yeah. considerably. One, Mike, one of the great humbling moments for me was the expert at the United Nations in Rome on rice went completely against the hysteria on commodities, and he was 100% correct six months, a year later. Well, let me ask you about hysteria in commodities. We saw today the British report higher than forecast inflation. We've had that in the last couple of months in the U.S. with the CPI and PPI. I just looked for the first time in a while at the Journal of Commerce CCRI Industrial Price Index. These are not uh, commodities that are necessarily traded in the markets or in the futures pits, but it's the stuff that companies have to buy to make the products that they sell to us, and it has gone up significantly over the last six months. It's like at a six-month high. Uh, are we beginning to see some inflation pressures from commodities, raw materials? Well, I, I, I think there's two dynamics going here. You can see it in core and headline. The core inflation has been rising recently, which means you do have a feedback into the broader economy. But thinking about commodities more specific, specifically, we argue you, you are in the, what we call the inflection phase of this commodity cycle, when we're carving out a bottom across all these different commodities, which means when you just think about month over month or year over year inflationary pressures from commodity prices, the lows are likely behind us, and now they're going to be more inflationary yeah. than they are deflationary. Jeff Curry, thank you so much for bringing up the inflection phase. Mike, did you know that the Boston Red Sox are in the inflection phase? Yeah, They're well. playing 500 baseball. <laughs> Big Poppy, uh, the home opener yesterday, drew just about every sports the icon The or showed in up. Boston. Did you see yes. that? 
he did. One B or as, uh, and Bill Russell as yes. a uh, as a pay tribute to David Ortiz as he begins his last season. Yeah, the coolest the thing old is daughter ballpark. singing the national yes. anthem, and he very very moved cool. to tears. He, he lost it. Yeah, Jeff Curry, thank you so much with Goldman Sachs. We will continue Julius Weig on Cuba next. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Fordham University, the Gabelli School of Business Executive MBA, top ranked with a renowned professional network, classes in Columbus Circle or Westchester. Learn more at Fordham.edu slash EMBA.